that this is what we struggle with in modern society. It's all about impulsiveness, yeah. right? When we talk about procrastination, distraction, when we talk when we talk about how we know what to do but we didn't do it, it's always a problem of impulse control. We all know what to do. We all know we should exercise and eat right. Yeah. We all know we should be nice to people. We should be fully present. We should do the hard work. We all know this stuff. The reason we don't do it not because of a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned how to control these impulses. Well, the solution is intent, is planning ahead. Because when we plan ahead, there is no distraction we can't overcome by planning today for the distractions that might happen tomorrow. Welcome to the Darren Woodson Show. Oh, it's my I, show today. I, I never get to leave this. This, this feels kind of nice. So why am I show. not sitting in the middle, by the way? I have no idea. Yeah, I need to you be in the captain's right chair. right there. Uh, our guest today is Nir Ayol. I hope I said that right. I practiced quite a bit. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> hey, I'll take it pretty good. I'll take it pretty good. Uh, Nir is a writer, consultant, and teacher who focuses on the intersection of technology psychology, and business. He's also the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And he's also an active investor in habit-forming technologies, Mm. which reminds me, I've got a few ideas for you, Nir, if you want to uh, (laughs) talk about it offline. Yeah, let's hear them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, so kind of like what we talked about a little bit before we started pressing record, we see the final product. We see what you do online. We see how you're impacting people. But what we want to understand is your foundation. Where do you come mm-hmm. from? What was your life like growing up? We feel like this will help really paint the picture of what we see today. So start us at the beginning. Where are you from? Uh, tell us a little bit about what family life was like. Yeah, so I'll, t- I'll start actually, uh, I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit to kind of tell you what I do these days, and then I'll back up to tell you how I got here. So I'm what you call a behavioral designer. So mm-hmm. I specialize in helping companies build the kind of products and services that people want to come back to time and again to build healthy habits in their daily lives. Uh, this came out of a class I taught at Stanford at the Graduate School of Business there, and then later at the Hasselplatner Institute of Design. And uh, it became my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, which was all about, you know, what if all kinds of businesses out there could use the same psychology behind what makes some of the stickiest products like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Slack, Snapchat, if we could take some of that mojo, some of that Mm. deeper psychology that makes those products so engaging and use it to help people build healthy habits. And that's exactly what's happened since my first book was published. Uh, Companies like Kahoot use the hook model uh, to get kids hooked onto online education. Uh, Companies like Fitbod use the hook model to get people hooked to exercise. I've worked with companies like the New York Times to get people hooked to connecting with uh, their local news. Uh, All kinds of ways that we can use technology to build good habits in our lives. So I essentially uh, figured out the the secrets of Facebook and Google and all these companies that are so good at getting you hooked so that the rest of us could use them to build healthy habits in people's lives. So that's, that was my first book. The second book was about the, the flip side, the other side of the coin that uh, when we find that there's, uh, we live in a world with so many good products and services with so many things that are so engaging uh, that sometimes we find we overuse and that to the point where we can get distracted. And so I wanted to dive deeper into the psychology of, of distraction. And I, I, um, 
uh, did that because I noticed that you know, shortly after I published my first book, um, I had this beautiful afternoon planned with my daughter and uh, we had just some daddy daughter time. And I remember we had this book of activities that daddies and dads could do together. I was a daddies and daughters could play together. And one of these activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question word for word, but I can't tell you what my daughter said because in that moment, for whatever reason, I thought it was a good time to just, let me just check this one thing on my phone. And I sent her a very clear message that whatever was on my device was more important than she was. And she left the room. She went to go play with some toy outside. And that's when I realized I blew it, that uh, I needed to reassess my own relationship with distraction. And so that's why I started on this five-year journey to understand the deeper psychology behind why we get distracted. And I learned some really fascinating things uh, that, that uh, have changed my life in innumerable ways, uh, because if I'm honest with you, it wasn't just with my daughter that I got distracted. I would get to work and then I would say, oh, I've got that big thing I need to work on, that thing that I've been procrastinating on. I'm not going to get distracted. And then somehow 30, 45 minutes later, I was doing everything but the thing I said I was going to do. I would say I was going to exercise. I would say I was going to eat right. And yet somehow I didn't do those things. So uh, that's when I decided, you know, that the, the real superpower that I would most want would be the power to be indistractable, to simply follow through on whatever it is I said I was going to do. How amazing would my life be if I could just do the things I know I should? Um, and I think that's that's the problem most people have these days. It's not that they don't know how, what to do, right? We all know to have good relationships, you have to be fully present with people. Mm-hmm. To uh, do well at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. To uh, to, to have a, a healthy body, you have to exercise and eat right. We all know this stuff. And if you don't know it, Google it, mm-hmm. right? It's all there. <laughs> so the problem is no longer that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way, how to stop getting distracted. So that's the kind of work I do today. I think what led me here Uh, if I'm really honest, like way back when, um, I I was clinically obese for a good chunk of my life. And I remember that, um, uh, that was always a real struggle for me that like figuring out why food seemed to control me, why I couldn't, um, control my urges around, uh, eating, um, was, was in many ways, very hard, but also very empowering once I could figure out how to gain control over it. Um, and, and also understanding the deeper reasons why food companies uh, design their packaging, their marketing, even the food products themselves uh, to get you. You know, like they're, they're in business, right? They want to make things that people want to consume. And so I was always fascinated by all the tricks that they did to, uh, to get us to eat more, whether we liked it or not. <laughs> and I think that, you know, once I, once I understood the, the, what was really going on and could overcome it, I think that was very empowering for me. It really changed my life. But I always kept that fascination with, you know, how do products and services get us to do things? And I think mm-hmm. that carried over into my, my uh, research and work around how our technology products can be so influential as well. well. What was that age that you were clinically obese? And what was, what was the trigger for you that actually internally said, Hey, I can take control of this. And I actually do have the power to change these habits. 
Yeah, so I was I was uh, weighed as much as I do now when I was 11 years old uh-huh. uh, and a, a lot shorter. <laughs> so I remember going to the doctor's office and my mom taking me to the doctor's office. And I remember that uh, he had this chart on the wall that said, all right, son, okay, this is what you should be if you were normal weight. Uh, this is overweight and this is you, you see this red Mm. category in the obese section. That's where you are. (laughs) I remember that chart and uh, yeah, my parents sent me to fat camp, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, and it was, it was always a real struggle because I felt like it was, um, you know, me versus the food. It was uh, self, you know, I just had to have some self-control, have some willpower. And it's really fascinating because actually today we, we are the, the psychology community. Uh, we don't think that way anymore. It's not all about willpower. It's not about self-control. In fact, the whole concept of willpower is being challenged. We can talk about mm. that as well. It's a really yeah. interesting new discovery in the, in the psychology community around how uh, a lot of what we think is in our, is driving our behavior turns out, to actually backfire. Uh, and one of those concepts could very well be this idea of willpower. Um, uh, and I think what, what changed for me was a sense of agency and control was realizing that there are some things I could do something about. And I remember back, back then, this was in the 1990s. You know, I, I, um, I got a little book called the T factor, you know, this was before the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a little pamphlet kind of thing that you could put in your pocket that you buy at the bookstore. And all it did was give you nutritional information, for the, the, the content of your food, you know, just macros, basically calories, mm-hmm. fat, protein, carbohydrates. And that was the first time I started kind of calorie tracking or at least becoming aware of what I was eating. Um, and then uh, I got interested in girls mm-hmm. and that became a big motivator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always <laughs> helps. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I grew up in central Florida and uh, what we did after school in my little, you know, apartment complex, uh, there was one pool for like, you know, all the, mm-hmm. all the, the, the community of whatever buildings and what all the kids would do in the neighborhood. We would all go to the pool after school. That's kind of like our daily ritual, but I would be the one kid who never took his shirt off mm. even in the pool. Oh, I didn't want to see my, my roles. I, that's <laughs> yeah. me. So, that was that, yeah. I feel like you're telling my life story right now, but continue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so take yes. us back to that moment. I'm very curious. What were you feeling when your dad showed you that chart? And he said, you're over here in the red set. Like, doctor, what were the doctor? doctor. The doctor did, sorry, yeah. the doctor said that. Sorry, I thought you did. Hmm. What were the feelings, like the immediate feelings in that moment? What was going through your head? You know, I, I remember feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, right? Thinking that it was, I was a bad person hmm. and uh, something was defective and wrong with me. And um, that, that can be super toxic because what we know now of course, you know, there's, there, there was nothing wrong with me. I wasn't a bad person. Uh, maybe I was, uh, I was, the actions I was taking weren't very good, right? The, the choices I was making weren't very good. Uh, but that, there, there's a big difference. I think it's Brene Brown who, tell, who says the difference between guilt and shame, uh, that, that guilt is something that I did was bad. Shame is I am bad. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a really big difference between the two, right? Because one is just actions versus the other is a, a character flaw or, or, or something somehow wrong with, with who you are. Um, and I remember that, that, that feeling, right. That there, mm-hmm. there must be something broken with me. And, you know, one of my natural reactions was, okay, well, 
there, there must be, right? There must be, maybe it's a hormone imbalance. Maybe it's, I'm big boned. Maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. boned. that was, that was a clinical diagnosis back yeah. then. I think big bone actually big bone was a was? thing. No yeah, way. That's good yeah, talk. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore this uh, chub right here because it's the bone yeah. underneath. Yes, definitely. How, definitely how did you see yeah. most challenges at, in that time? Meaning you said, well, maybe it's something external. Did you tend to look at challenges as things that you couldn't control or did you tend to think, well, I do have control over this, at some, or, or did that just come over time? How did you go about that? I think it was a confluence of factors. So, you know, I think what really helped me at the time was that I went into, into puberty and started getting some height uh, just as I was becoming more motivated to get on, uh, to, 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 I was more interested in girls. And so the confluence of all these things at once that like I, 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 my motivations changed. Plus I saw that I had agency, that something was working, right? That by mm-hmm. counting calories, I started getting people to say, oh, wow, you know, look, you lost the weight or you look different today or what's going on. And I think that created this virtual cycle of, of have feeling greater agency and control. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because we see the exact same steps uh, w- with all sorts of behaviors that people try and change today. You know, today I study uh, uh, compulsions and addiction and distraction, and it's many of the same exact notes. I think maybe, maybe the most important is um, – why we get distracted, why we go off track. And this directly relates to, to indistractable. Um, you know, one of the first things that I, I wanted to understand with distraction is, is what, what are we talking about here? What does that term even mean? Right. I'm kind of a, a word nerd. And so I really want to understand that, that, you know, what that word means. It's one of those words that people think they know, they understand the, the meaning of, but when you actually quiz them on it, like mm-hmm. I didn't understand what that word actually meant. So uh, the best way to understand if you know what a word means is to understand the antonym, right? What's mm-hmm. the opposite? So if I ask most people, what's the opposite of distraction? Mm-hmm. Most people will say focus, Focused, right? That makes sense. Thinking. The opposite yeah. of distraction is focus, but it's not. The opposite of distraction is not focus. If you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is traction. traction. That hmm. both traction and distraction come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you say you're going to do, things you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. So those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction is distraction. Mm-hmm. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you plan to do, further away from your values, further away from becoming mm-hmm. the kind of person you want to become. So why is this so important? This isn't just semantics. It's really important because I would argue anything can be traction or distraction, any action. Let me give you an example. For years, I would sit down at my desk at work and I would say, okay, let me look at my to-do list. What do I have to do today? I've got that big task that I really need to check off that I've been procrastinating on. It's behind schedule. I really got to get to work on that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on it first. Here I go. I'm going to get started. Nothing's going to get in my way. But first, let me check some email. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Let me let me just uh, reply to those Slack channels. Let me just do that one easy thing on my to-do list just right. to get some momentum going. Right. And I would trick myself 
into prioritizing the stuff that was urgent and easy at the expense of the important work, mm-hmm. right? By right. saying, well, I, I got to do email at some time today, don't I? I got to do that thing on my to-do list at some point. I got to scroll those Slack channels. That's work-related tasks. Mm-hmm. That's what we call pseudo-productivity because it is the most dangerous form of distraction, the distraction that tricks us into thinking that what we're doing is what we should be doing when really it's not. It's a distraction if it's not what you plan to do. Conversely, just as anything can become a distraction, anything can be traction, right? That, you know, today you hear about uh, these, these chicken little tech critics that tell us that, oh, technology is all addictive and it's hijacking your brain and there's nothing you can do about it and it's so bad. Stop using social media. Stop playing video games. Rubbish. It's mm. silly. It's not scientific. It's not true and it's not helpful. Why is playing a video game somehow morally inferior to all the other things people could do with their time? There's no difference. If you want to go on social media, if you want to play a video game, great. There's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. As long as you do it on your schedule and according to your values, the time you waste is not wasted time. So anything can be traction and anything can be distraction based on intent, based on forethought. It's the same way with food. Right, oh. that we know that having these ridiculous diets of okay, no carbs, no pro or no fat, no this, no that, it doesn't really work. It's not about vilifying one thing or another. It's about intent. It's about th- forethought. So, so speak on that intent. intent. When you say intent, what is mm-hmm. exact? What exactly does that mean? Like, what is you? Know, because there's so many in, in everyone's schedule is always distractions. So talk mm-hmm. about intent. What does that mean? Yeah. So. There's, there's, a few, there's several things that make human beings very special as a species. And one of the things that makes Homo sapiens so different from any other animal on the face of the earth is that we can see into the future better than any other animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, We know what is going to happen. Our brain, our intelligence lets us predict what is going to happen in the future mm-hmm. better than any other animal on the face of the earth. And this is, this is a defining trait of human beings. So if you wait to the last minute to make these types of decisions, you will lose. You will lose. If the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If, uh, if the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning before you even say hello to your loved one that just woke up next to you because you've already lost. They are yeah. going to get you unless you plan ahead. So intent to answer your question, is all about forethought. It's about thinking ahead. There is no distraction that we can't overcome by planning ahead, by using forethought. So the, the, the mantra I like to repeat is, the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That this is what we struggle with in modern society. It's all about impulsiveness, yeah. right? When we talk about procrastination, distraction, when we, talk, when we talk about how we know what to do but we didn't do it, it's always a problem of impulse control. We all know what to do. We all know we should exercise and eat right. Yeah. We all know we should be nice to people. We should be fully present. We should do the hard work. We all know this stuff. The reason we don't do it, it's not because of a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned how to control these impulses. Well, the solution is intent, is planning ahead. Because when we plan ahead, there is no distraction we can't overcome by planning today for the distractions that might happen tomorrow. So that's that's super, super important. Now, 
Um, one of the so so we have now because of this this dichotomy between traction and distraction, we can kind of picture this in our minds, right? Mm-hmm. To the right, we have a, an arrow pointing towards traction. To the left, we have distraction. The two parts of the model that are missing are what drives us to these acts of traction or distraction, these things we plan to do versus the things we didn't plan to do that got distracted. This is where we have what we call triggers, okay? So imagine you've got the number line, you've got you know arrow point to the right, arrow point to the left that represents traction and distraction. Now I want you to imagine two arrows pointing to the center of that, of that line, right? Those two arrows pointing to the center represent what we call external triggers. External triggers are the things in our environment that lead us towards traction or distraction. And this is what people tend to blame, right? The pings, the dings, the rings, all of the things in our outside environment <laughs> that lead us towards Are you talking to me? You're yeah. talking to like, me. Yeah. Like I can't, yes. I can tell you, I could be sitting there looking at something. I'm looking at whatever it is. And that little ding, that phone dings. And I'm looking, I'm back at the phone. Like I have, yeah. I cannot stay focused. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to bl- blow your mind here. Turns out that studies find that's only 10% of the reason you get distracted. Only 10% of the time that people check their phones, do they check it because of an external trigger, because of a ping or ding? Well, what's the other 90%? The other 90% of the time, nine times out of 10 that people check their phones, it's not because of the external trigger. It's because of what we call an internal trigger. What's an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. An uncomfortable emotional Mm. state that we seek to escape from. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, stress. These are the reasons. 90% of the time people check their phone, they are checking their phone to escape one of these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states. So now we have the four parts of our model. This is how we become indistractable. We first and foremost have to deal with those internal triggers. And this is for every distraction, whether it's uh, quitting smoking, whether it's uh, eating the right foods, whether it's uh, spending your time the way you want to spend your time, living your life with intent. If we don't understand that time management requires pain management. Okay, let me say that again. Time Mm. management requires pain management. It doesn't matter what books you've read, what productivity hacks, uh, what life hacks. None of that stuff works. None of it works unless we understand this fact that time management requires pain management. We have to deal with that discomfort Mm -hmm. because we will always look to escape it, right? Whether it's too much news, too much food, too much booze, any of that stuff will distract us if we don't first and foremost understand the deeper discomfort we are looking to escape from. Mm -hmm. That is step number one mastering those internal triggers. So that's step number one, master the internal triggers. Step two is make time for traction, which we can talk about as well. Step three is hack back those external triggers because they still account for about 10% of the reason you get distracted. Hack back all those external triggers, not just the pings and dings on your phone. What about, you know, for many of us working from home, what about our kids? Our kids can be a constant source of distraction Mm -hmm. if we're not careful. So there's all kinds of external triggers out there we can hack back. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. And these pacts are these firewalls, these last resorts that we use to keep us on track. So that's 
that's the high level overview of these four steps to becoming okay. indistractable. Okay, so I, that's a lot. There. Like literally, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh! Like literally, you were inside Wait, my mind. We only have ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Look, you, you said Can we retrade on that uh, commitment? To- <laughs> All right, so I, I need to make. I want you to talk about making time for traction. Mm. Yeah. What does that look like? Okay. All right, so. So step one is the most important, making uh, mastering the internal triggers. That's the most important step. Okay, and we can talk. We can go into further depth around like, well, how do we deal with that discomfort? Because remember, if we don't understand how to deal with those uncomfortable sensations, none of the other techniques will work. Yeah, we have to deal with that first and foremost. But after we have mastered those internal triggers, and there's a lot of ways we can do that. We can go into that in a bit. The next step is to make time for traction. Okay, what does that mean? So earlier we talked about the difference between traction and distraction is forethought. It's about intent. Here's the thing. I have worked with countless people who are trying to be more productive, who want to get more out of their lives, who find that they're not living the kind of lives that they know they can lead. And the, the, the thing I see most often is people complaining about, oh my God, the world is so distracting these days and my boss wants this and my kids want that and you see what happened in the news and I can't seem to get anything done, help me, right? The world is such a, such a distracting place. What do I do? What am I gonna do? And my first question is, well, how did you intend to spend your time, right? What did you plan to do today? Mm-hmm. Let me see your calendar. And nine times out of 10, when I ask that question, people will show me their calendar and it's blank. Maybe there's a dentist appointment on it or something, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people keep what's called a time box calendar. A time box calendar, and this isn't a technique I invented. This has been around for a very, very long time. It's, in fact, the most studied time management productivity technique. It has been studied in thousands of peer-reviewed journals have shown that, that what's called setting an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying, planning out what you're going to do and what you are, when you are going to do it is among the most important things you can do to make sure you live the kind of life you want, it's simply planning how you want to spend your time. Why is this so important? Because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Mm. Say, oh, I was on Facebook, I was on TikTok, I was playing a video game, I was whatever. But what did you get distracted from? If you don't right. have something on your calendar that you decided you wanted to do and yet didn't do, everything is a distraction. You have to decide in advance how you want to spend your time. Now, how do you do that? Okay. Say, okay, well, I'm going to make a time box calendar. That sounds great. Where do I start? We start with our values. What are values? Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. So what we have to do is to ask ourselves in what I call these three life domains, how would the person I want to become spend their time? So here are the three life domains. It starts with you. You are at the center of your three life domains. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. So what I want you to do is to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time taking care of themselves? Now, what does that include? Time for proper rest. Right. We all know that sleep is important. We've heard this a million times. You know, we tell it our we yell at our kids, you gotta get to bed, it's past your bedtime. But do we have a bedtime? Right? As mm-hmm. parents, do we have a bedtime? No, we're hypocrites. <laughs> it's yes, it's true, important true. for you, it's not important yeah. for me. Yeah. 
we have got to have that bedtime. We have to have that time on our schedule. You know, if, if, um, if learning and education and personal growth and development is important to you, do you have that time on your schedule? Do you have time to read in your day? Do you have time to grow and uh, pray, meditate, whatever it is? Is it on your schedule? That's the first life domain. The second life domain is around relationships. You know, in this, in this country, we have a loneliness epidemic, particularly among men, that uh, people today on average have between zero to one close personal friend. It's never been lower. Uh, and this is not a new trend. This is not something that social media created. This is a long time coming. Robert Putnam wrote about this in his book, Bowling Alone, back in the 1990s. What he observed was, is that there's this long-term trend of the, 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 the things that our grandfathers used to do with their time with their buddies have disappeared. You know, he called his book Bowling Alone because he saw the statistically this precipitous decline in the number of people who participated in things like the bowling league, the Kiwanis club, yeah. the church group. What's happened is as society has become more secular, we have fewer things on our calendars to connect us with other people. And that is why we have this loneliness epidemic in this country. And we know that loneliness is as bad for our health, believe it or not, as smoking and obesity. It, wow. is, it is an epidemic of loneliness. And why do we have this? Because we don't keep those regular appointments. How many times have we told a friend, oh, yeah, we should, we should get together sometime. Let's <laughs> have a beer or something. Yeah. Let's get together for a coffee. Yeah, I'll yeah. see you on the 12th of never, right? <laughs> we know right. it's not going to happen. <laughs> because we don't have those regular occasions on our schedules. One of the upsides, perhaps, of the pandemic, was some of the silver lining is that people are making time for these Zoom calls, yeah. right? With grandma and grandpa and friends. They're having these regular occasions to uh, put time uh, to, to, to their relationships, that's something that needs to continue. By time boxing, by telling your best friend, hey, look, you know, every second Tuesday, I, I want to have a phone call with you. Like, we, let's put that on the calendar or with your, with your, uh, with your spouse, right? How many of us mm. give our, our, the most important person in our life whatever scraps of time that's are right. left over, right? That's right. right. Do we have those date days? Do we have that time, those dinners together? Do we have that quality time for a walk, whatever it might be for the relationships with our, with our partner, with our families, with our kids, with our uh, siblings, with our parents? Do we have that time scheduled? That's the second life domain. Mm -hmm. Finally, the last life domain is the work domain. And this is where most people start, but I actually think it's the place we should, it's the last, it's the third yes. that we should, we should think about. And, and when it comes to work, there's two types of work. We have what we call reactive work and reflective work, okay? Reactive work is the kind of work that we do in response to things. It's uh, responding to emails, responding to phone calls, responding to meetings and notifications. That's these, this kind of reactive work. <laughs> is that me or what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's part of everybody's day. Dude, yeah. you are like calling all of us out <laughs> yes. so hard right now. You are on point. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah go ahead. And, and, that's, and, and it's part of everybody's day. Everybody oh. has reactive work time in their day, of course. The problem is that that's what we tend to default into because it's really mm -hmm. easy. Cognitively, I just got to react to stuff. What do I have to do with my time? Well, just respond to emails and notifications all day, right? Yeah. Like that's easy to do. I don't have to think about what do I do. I just respond to whoever <laughs> yeah. wants me to do something. You know, you know it, it is easy, but it's so sabotaging. Mm -hmm. Like it's easy mm -hmm. in the moment, but it's so stressful mm -hmm. and it makes things way worse. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm right. totally exactly with right. you. Like, I'm so like, you're just speaking to my so, heart right now. It's so true that it's easy in the moment, 
but it's stressful. And so I don't know why I can't just flip that switch. Yeah. I, I want right. to, sorry, go ahead. No, no I, I was just going to say, so the, so the answer to that is that the, if you only do reactive work all day, it's like running real fast in the wrong direction. <sighs> mm-hmm. right? right. It feels like you're working hard, but you're running in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. which is why we have to put in our calendars time for reflective work. Reflective mm-hmm. work is the kind of work that requires our full attention, it requires we work without distraction. This is where the planning happens, the strategizing, the thinking. If you want to kill it in your industry, if you want to be better than anybody else at your job, let me give you a little secret. Make time to think because nobody is doing it. Right, People are running around without thinking about are they working on the right things. If you put in your calendar some amount of time for thinking, for planning, for reflecting, that is a huge competitive advantage over everybody else in your industry. So now we have these three life domains, you, your relationships, and your work. This is how we build this time box calendar. And finally, finally, we will know the difference between traction, everything we plan to do, and everything else is a distraction. By the way, including time for fun, right? If you want time to watch that football game, to play a video game, to go on social media, awesome, do it, right? I want you to do it. Mm -hmm. But put that time in your calendar so that you know you're living your life according to your schedule and your values, not somebody else's. Question on that time blocking, because Darren, I think probably more so than Ben and I for sure, not probably, it's for sure, is how do you prioritize what to actually put on your time block? Mm -hmm. And yes, like you need reflective work, but there's so many people that are are grabbing for your attention, whether you're a Darren Woodson, future hall of famer, or, you know, you're Joe Schmo, you know, at, at GameStop, it it doesn't matter. People are always pulling for your time. How do you, because, and this is a challenge for me, is that you get so overloaded and you fill your calendar up so much with yeses and yeses and yeses that now I, I, I can't, and again, this is not an excuse, but you can't help but be distracted because you're here and then you're there and then this and this. How do you form that discipline to say, okay, look, here are the values that I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't align with those goals, then I, I, can't, I can't say yes. But what, what are some strategies or, or why do people do that? Can you give me 15 minutes a week? It's all you need. Yes. If you, mm. you can have anything for me you want. <laughs> Already. Anything. <laughs> you, got, you got it? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put in your calendar, the first thing in your calendar, mm-hmm. I want you to put in 15 minutes a week to make and revise a time box calendar. And I'll give you a link for the show notes, by the way. I built a tool that made it really easy for people to do this. It's on my blog, nearandfar.com, a schedule maker tool. It's super easy. You can use any schedule maker, by the way. I don't care what you, I built one because people kept asking this question. So I want to make it as easy as possible. You can use pen and paper. You can use Google Calendar. I don't care. The the best tool is the one you use, okay? What I want you to do is to put in 15 minutes every week. So for me, it's Sunday evening, every week, Sunday evening, I have time on my calendar to review my schedule that just passed Mm -hmm. and revise my schedule in the week ahead. Now, the reason this works is it forces a constraint, which is why, by the way, 
you know, the, 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 the traditional productivity technique that a lot of people hear is to keep a to-do list, run your life on a to-do list. We've all heard this. This is how yeah. you get things done. You keep oh, a to-do yeah. list. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we didn't know that. Near, near, you're talking to me, <laughs> but, but I'll say this. I got distracted earlier and lost on your website for about two hours reading about why to-do lists are not good. So your website works because it, it got me. And now I no longer do to-do lists to-do list. no as, as, as of today. today. <laughs> yeah. So should we talk about why to-do lists are terrible? Yes, please. I, I, pile on. You pile can see on. it. I printed out the article, oh, of, the article of why to do. Be a schedule builder, not a to-do list maker. Talk to me, Nir. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me, first of all, let me clarify exactly what I mean. So there's nothing wrong with getting stuff out of your head and onto a piece of paper. That's a great idea, right? Get those tasks out, put them somewhere. That's very good. Mm-hmm. What's bad what, what doesn't work is when people run their life on a to-do list. Meaning, oh. you wake, if you wake up in the morning and you say, what am I supposed to do with my day today? And the first place you look is your to-do list rather than your schedule, you have already lost, yeah. okay? This, this is a terrible, terrible practice that people do. And there's a few reasons why it's so horrible. Namely, it's because even when we have time off, right? Time to enjoy ourselves. We don't even enjoy that time off. We don't even enjoy our leisure time because our to-do list is a mile long. Mm -hmm. And even if we're playing with our kids, right? Even if we're trying to watch the game, even if we're trying to enjoy ourselves in the back of our heads is, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something else. I didn't finish my to-do list. That's the one, right? That's the one that got me when I was reading was thinking back to all the times that I'm sitting there playing with my four-year-old son and I'm thinking about all the things I've got to do. Mm. And then I'm missing yep. out. You know what? I want to say, speak on that because I, I was watching your video earlier. I was online watching your video and you just mentioned it early on. You were talking about your daughter and mm-hmm. that is the most powerful. Yes. I mean, those words and what you said speak, speak to every man or and every woman that are out there because we are so guilty of that. So I wanted to appreciate you for, for actually going out there on that limb and talking about that because it, it spoke directly to us. Uh, and it, 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 you know, I, I hate to admit it, <laughs> but uh, it, it was part of my life. And I, I'm embarrassed, like looking back that I did that to my daughter. But I will tell you that there's light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, I wrote this book, not because I mastered distraction, but because I wanted to master distraction. Yeah. I mean, the book took me five years to write. You know why? Because I kept getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it because I needed it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy to tell you that after five years of research and writing, I have overcome distraction. I am indistractable. I, when I'm with my daughter now, I am fully present. Mm. There's nothing I'm going to do but be with her. My mind is, is there. My body is there. I am fully present. I'm not thinking about my to-do list. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just with her. When I'm doing my, I'm more productive at work than ever before because I do what I say I'm going to do. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm 43 years old. I used to be clinically obese. Today I have a six pack. Mm. (laughs) And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm showing that, look, by consistently doing what it is you say you're going to do, you can change every aspect of your life. Hey, wanted to take a quick break from the episode to thank our sponsor, Tito's Handmade Vodka. Tito's Handmade Vodka is distilled from corn and certified gluten-free. In the mid-90s, Tito Beverage, yep, that's his real name, Tito Beverage, built his very own micro distillery in Austin, Texas, incorporating the boutique winery concept into the spirits industry. He acquired the first legal permit to distill in Texas and put his life savings into it, racking up 19 credit cards to build his own copper pot stills and condensers. 
He continues to produce award-winning, smooth American vodka on the same land where, where it all started, over 20 years later. Tito's has won a, the unanimous judge's choice double gold medal at the World Spirits Competition, among other awards. It's got a modest paper label on a sip of bottle, so all you pay for is the exceptional vodka inside. Visit us at titosvodka.com for recipes, videos, and more for the Tito's story. Crafted to be savored responsibly. I think of a to-do list, and I think of, you know, oh, I'm going to stack all these wins, and and it feels good to get that check mark. But when do you ever feel at the end of the day like you've accomplished anything? And because there's always something that you've left off. There's always something that you didn't get to or, oh, I didn't add it to the list. It needed to be on the list. Mm -hmm. It never. But now, like, literally just that paradigm shift of thinking of a calendar and I've got these blocks. I've got these bubbles in my day. And, okay, hey, here's my window to complete this. Here's my window for that. Here's Mm -hmm. my window for this. But guess what? When those windows are done, I get to enjoy time with my wife. Which you you, you schedule that, schedule it. I just got to get my wife on board. I'm trying to teach her how to send invites <laughs> on the calendar. I say, hey, if, it, if that, it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. It doesn't, count. Yeah. it doesn't exist if it's not on the calendar. Yeah, yeah. Can't be held responsible. By the way, <laughs> your wife is going to love this technique. Let, let okay. me tell you why real quick. So in my household, we used to have this, this constant struggle uh, around the fact that I didn't do enough around the house. And this is not just me, right? We know the studies have found that even in 2021, women still take on a disproportionate share of household admin duties. It's just the way the world is these days that women still get shortchanged and they do a lot of the the crap work that many times us men don't realize need to get done. Mm, yeah. And and that was definitely the case in my family, right? That, uh, you know, my wife would say, don't you see the trash needs to be taken out? Don't you see the dishes need to be washed? Don't you see our daughter needs to be fed? So honey, I didn't realize. Why didn't you just tell me? Mm. Right? Just tell me. I'll do it. <laughs> right? I'm sure you, yes. you can see yeah. that. Never had that conversation. <laughs> Babe, I, I can't read your mind. You just, just tell me and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the problem with saying that and why I stopped saying that is because by asking her to do that, I was giving her yet another job. Yeah. Now I want you to not only be the babysitter for our daughter, but you have to be a, a grown man's babysitter and tell right. me what, yeah. what to do. Yeah. And that is not aligned with my values. One of my values, again, an attribute of the person I want to become, I want to be the kind of person who is in an equitable marriage. Mm. It's one of my Mm. values. I'm not saying it needs to be your value. It's one of my values. I've been married for 20 years now, okay? And I will tell you, we have the best relationship we have ever had before. You know why? Because once a week, we sit down together and we do what's called a schedule sync. A schedule sync is when you sit down with your life partner, your you can do this with your boss. Your boss will worship the ground you walk on if you do this with them. And what we do is we take out our calendar. Now that we have that physical artifact, now that I have something that I can show people of here is how I spend my time, nothing slips through the cracks. Because mm. she knows when I will be doing the things that are my responsibility and when she will be doing the things that are her responsibility. Guys, it takes 15 minutes a week. Mm. We never have those fights anymore oh because gosh. now it's very clear what needs to get done and when it, it will happen. And this is why <laughs> time boxing is so much better than the to do list method. Yeah. Because the to do list method, there is no constraint. Okay. So what happens with the to do list? put on more and more and more. And you get exactly what you said before Mm -hmm. this mile long to-do list that never finishes, that never gets done. And how do we evaluate ourselves? How do we measure whether we're doing a good job? How many little boxes we checked off? Ooh, doesn't that feel good checking off boxes, Mm -hmm. right? But it's never finished. We never finish anything on that to-do list. So what begins to happen? Well, 
we begin to enter this dialogue with ourselves of, oh, another day went by and I didn't do everything I said I'm going to do. And subconsciously, what you're telling yourself when you look at a to-do list full of things you didn't finish, you are telling yourself another day went by and yet again, I lied to myself. I said I was going to do it and I didn't. Liar, loser. Mm -hmm. You are reinforcing the self-image of someone who does not live with personal integrity as opposed to as opposed to the time boxing technique that I espouse in my book, Indistractable. The metric of success is completely different. With a to-do list, you're measuring yourself on, did I check the box, okay? With a time box calendar, the metric of success is not whether you finished anything. Let me say that again. It's not whether you finished anything. That doesn't make sense. Well, how am I going to get stuff done? Here's the thing. The metric of success with a time box calendar is just one thing. Did I do what I said I would do without distraction? Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I want you to measure yourself. Not did you finish the thing, but did I do what I said I would do for as long as I said I would without distraction? So if you said I'm going to work on that blog post for 30 minutes or I'm going to be with my kid for 45 minutes or whatever it is you said you're going to do for that amount of time, that's your only metric of success. Now, here's the kicker. The people who measure themselves by that metric of I'm just going to do what I said I'm going to do for as long as I said I would, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, amount of time you said you're going to work on that task, they finish more, they get more done than the people who check the boxes on the to-do list method. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) The silence is... uh, So I just... (laughs) Okay, so... Let's let's just real life scenario. So you've got you've got a project due. You know we're we in our day job we do commercial real estate, and you know say we've got to put a survey together and get it out to a client. That deadline is is you know today whether you procrastinated or the project it was just an urgent need. You got your time blocks. What if a task that has an urgent deadline? I mean, how do you decide what takes precedent? You know, if you're working in your time box, you're like, all right, look, I only set aside an hour, but this is actually going to take me an hour and a half. I can't roll into this because then I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do. So how do you, how do you work through those? Sure. So we have to get in the right mindset and the right mindset is not drill sergeant. The right mindset is scientist. Mm -hmm. A drill sergeant says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay. That's the drill sergeant mindset. That's not our mindset for time boxing. Instead, Mm -hmm. we're scientists. What do scientists do? Scientists come up with a hypothesis. They run a test. They look at the results and then they make adjustments for the next test. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's how we manage our time box calendar. The most important thing is to sit down and plan how you want to spend your time. Most people, about 80% of people, have at least a week's worth of time that they have visibility into. So Mm -hmm. most people like me sit down, I can sit down Sunday night and I can say, okay, I know what my week ahead is going to look like. Here's where I have my meetings. Here's where I have the big things I need to do for work. Mm -hmm. Here's the time I want for my friends. Here's the time I need for myself. And I have this beautiful time box calendar that I revise once a week on Sunday evenings. Now, Mm. if you work in the kind of job that you don't have visibility into the whole week ahead, you probably still have visibility at least into your day, right? The vast majority of people, I've never met someone who doesn't have visibility, even even in a a very busy work environment, you know, commercial real estate, you kind of know what's on your plate for the Mm. day. So maybe you don't want to do 15 minutes on a Sunday like I do. Maybe you want to do five minutes in the morning. 
Mm-hmm. Where you sit down and you say, here is my schedule for the day ahead. Here's my time box calendar. Doing that is the only way to know the difference between traction and distraction. So I work with a lot of people who do this once a day. First thing in the morning, here's my schedule. Here's how I plan to spend my day. Even if there is that urgent project, fine. If this project needs to get done today, oh my goodness, we really got to work on it, fine. I'm going to budget that time to work on it for this amount of time. So that over time, you're looking back on that uh, on that process and, per, and that's providing you feedback to get better over time. Mm-hmm. There's something called the planning fallacy. The planning fallacy tells us that the average person takes three times longer to do a task than they think it will take them. Mm. Okay. Ask my three wife about longer. any project that's that I do at the house. <laughs> right. it, that's exactly right. three times as long as it is exact. <laughs> exactly. Right. Why does that happen? Because yeah. there's no feedback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We work on something for a little bit. And typically what happens is we delay, 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 delay. We procrastinate and then we yes. still can't get it all done right now. Yeah. <laughs> and typically we do a really crappy job because the deadline's approaching. We're stressed and we would have done a much, much better job if we were, would have worked on it on little increments yeah. leading up to it. That's right. So what I want you to do is when you have a big project, whether that's a project around the house, whether it's uh, physical fitness, whether it's uh, something at work, whatever the case might be, I want you to allocate time for that task for to consistently work on it. One of my life mantras is consistency over intensity. Mm-hmm. Consistency over intensity. I mean, you guys know this from physical fitness. Mm-hmm. You know, we see these, uh, you know, warriors who come in after the new year and say, oh, I just made a new year's resolution. I'm going to pump a lot of weight in the gym. And of course, by, by February, they don't come back, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because right. They, they prioritize intensity over consistency. The people who make gains, the people who, who, who have, you know, the kind of uh, physical health that, 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 that serves them over a lifetime, they put in the work every single day. Even if it's 30 minutes, they do something physically active every day. Mm-hmm. Same with our relationships, right? You don't say, oh, I want an amazing relationship with my kid. Uh, come here, spend some quality time with me right now for the next six hours. Yeah. No, right. you have to put in that consistent time day after day, even if it's little increments of time, Mm-hmm. consistency over intensity. Same with work. You know, you don't, you don't succeed in commercial real estate by saying, I'm going to work really hard today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No, you right. put in a little bit of work every day to that's succeed. Right. So, so, so that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, keep yeah, going. That, so that's how we do it. We have to put that time in our schedule and then reassess. So that scientist mentality of saying, okay, hmm, I put in an hour and a half or too little. But it's only by reassessing, by looking at that, either once a day or once a week, in my case, where I can learn how long tasks take me so I begin uh, to be better at planning my time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, go ahead. ahead. Sorry, D. No, that's what I was going to ask you is that you you basically, you're just, you're testing it. Mm -hmm. You're testing yourself. You're not just, just, you know, it's not just that you set your calendar on Sunday. If you know yourself. And yet you have to get to know yourself throughout the week and figure out how to uh, time block your calendar as well. I, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things that, that we always deal with in, in specifically in our job is the stress. Mm-hmm. And I think the stress blocks you and distracts you from doing a lot. Talk to us about how do you deal with the stress uh, in the day-to-day life and, and, and in scheduling your day out? Okay, so this is, this is fantastic because this is back to step one around mastering the internal triggers, which I mentioned earlier we yes. skipped over, but is the most important step of the four. If you don't do that first, nothing else works. Why? Because exactly what you said. These internal triggers, stress is an internal trigger. It feels crappy. We don't like that feeling of stress, and we will do anything to escape it. 
So some people will watch TV to escape stress. Mm-hmm. Some people will take a drink to escape stress. Some people will check Facebook or Instagram or whatever, TikTok, to escape that uncomfortable sensation. Three the number one internal trigger, <laughs> the number one internal trigger, the reason we don't do the things we know we should do is because we don't feel like it. Yeah. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. why don't we feel like it? Because of an internal trigger. It's because of this uncomfortable emotional state, stress, anxiety, boredom, loneliness, fatigue. That is why we get distracted. Mm. Most people out there, 99% of the population, you don't have ADHD. There's nothing wrong with your brain. You don't have some kind of character flaw. You're not a bad person. You don't have an addictive personality. Rubbish. There's nothing wrong with you. You just don't have the tools to deal with discomfort. Mm. High management requires pain management. So let me give you some, a few practical tips. I love that. Uh, because this, this is the most important thing people can take away, especially men, okay? Especially men. That we don't acknowledge the fact that we have these uncomfortable sensations, right? Yeah. And we, we rationalize, right? I, I want to you know, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. We rationalize to ourselves that we are, we're doing these things because we have to when really we're doing them because we're trying to escape. And I see this all over the place, you know, men who uh, go into work and work more than they need to because they're trying to escape their home life. Right. right? Uh, they're, they're trying to get out of a certain situation at home. Home life sucks. So they're going to work more. They make up these excuses uh, when really what they're doing is rationalizing the fact that they haven't come to grips with, with, with how they are feeling. So I'm not saying you have to go, you know, get, go get therapy tomorrow, even though it's not a bad idea for a lot of people, therapy can be very helpful, but I want to give you a few techniques that anyone can use right now for free to help you master these internal triggers. Let me start with one is to note the sensation. Okay. If you have a pen and paper, you can do this. Anybody can do this. What I want you to do is next time you get distracted from whatever it is you said you're going to do. Okay. Whatever it is you said you were going to do, I want you to just write down what that feeling is. Okay, you plan to do one thing and now you're doing something else. What was the preceding emotion? Loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. Just write that down. Okay, incredibly empowering technique. It sounds so simple. What do you mean? Just write down the feeling. Yes, just write down the feeling. Then what I want you to do, I want you to embrace that feeling with curiosity rather than contempt. Curiosity rather than contempt. What do I mean by that? Many people, when they think about distraction, they immediately fall into two categories, okay? We have what we call the blamers and the shamers. The blamers, these are people who blame things outside themselves. Oh, you know why I got distracted? My boss, my kids, <laughs> yeah. uh, this thing happened at work. Uh, the, the modern world these days, Twitter, Facebook, they blame things outside themselves. But of course, none of that works, right? right? We're not going to go back to some mythical time before technology existed like that. We don't have time machines. And there never was a time when people weren't distracted. Plato, 2,500 years ago, the Greek philosopher, talked about distraction. People have always been distracted. Mm. So it's pointless to blame stuff outside yourself. That doesn't work. The other extreme is what we call the shamer, right? The blamers blame things outside themselves. The shamers, they take it on the inside. Oh, there must be something broken in my brain. I must have an addictive personality. (laughs) I have a short attention span. We hear this kind of BS all the time. Been hitting the head too many times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think so good. (laughs) 
Right. And here's why it doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. Because when we shame ourselves, when we think that we are somehow deficient and broken, that feels crappy. Shame Mm. is a very uncomfortable internal trigger. And what do we do when we feel shame? We look for escape Escape, with more distraction. Mm. So it's this terrible cycle that we do not want to get into. So if we're not going to be blamers, we're not going to be shamers. What do we, what do we want to be? We want to be what we call claimers. Claimers claim responsibility, not for how they feel, but how they respond to their feelings. Okay. Let me, let me free you from any potential guilt or shame. You do not control your feelings. This has been proven now. We do not control our feelings. We only control how we respond to how we feel. Think about it like an urge to sneeze, okay? If I said to you, don't have the urge to sneeze, control the urge to sneeze, it's impossible, right? Once you feel the urge to sneeze, you feel the urge. Now, how you respond to it is up to you. Are you going to sneeze all over everyone or are you going to cover your face with with a tissue, right? It's how you respond to that urge. Hence the word, responsibility. Responsibility comes from how we respond to things. So that's what this is all about, how we respond to these uncomfortable sensations. Let me give you a super practical technique that you can use right now the next time you feel one of these internal triggers. So you write down the internal trigger. Here's what I want you to do. This is called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction any distraction. You want to smoke that cigarette? You want to eat that piece of chocolate cake? You want to go surf YouTube or whatever you want to do? You can give in to any distraction in 10 minutes. Not right now, mm. in 10 minutes. Mm. Okay, now now make sure I'm clear here. Not for 10 minutes, but in 10 <laughs> That's minutes. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. <laughs> in 10 minutes. Now, why is this so effective? Why, why don't we just say no, right? Just use abstinence. No, I'm not going to do it. Well, it turns out that abstinence can oftentimes backfire, mm. right? So abstinence, telling yourself, do not give in to that distraction. Don't do it backfires. Why? It's kind of like when you pull on a rubber band. If you notice, if you pull on a rubber band, you pull, 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 you can only pull so much, but then when you let go, does the rubber band go back to where you started? No, the rubber band ricochets across the room. So when we tell ourselves not to do something, it builds up this urge to do it more. When you tell yourself, don't check your phone, don't check your phone, don't check your phone. Okay, fine, I'll check my phone. (laughs) And that relief of the discomfort of telling yourself no is what gets us hooked. Mm-hmm. It's that yeah. relief of the tension of telling ourselves not to do something. Mm. So we don't want to give ourselves strict absence. By the way, this is why smokers, it turns out we're learning more and more, nicotine turns out to be way less addicted than we think. It turns out what really gets people addicted is the, the dependency on this this cycle of don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. Okay, fine. I'll smoke. I feel so good to Mm. not have to tell ourselves no anymore. That's what feels relaxing when you smoke. That's what feels good. You know, when you survey smokers and you ask them, do you actually like smoking? The actual sensation of smoking, the vast majority of people hate it. Mm. It stinks. It doesn't feel good. It's gross. What they like is the relief of the tension of not having to tell themselves no anymore. So instead of, abstinence we tell we don't tell ourselves no we tell ourselves not yet yeah mm. so here's how it works here's the 10 minute rule 
Next time you are about to get distracted, you say, okay, I can give into that distraction, but in 10 minutes. So many times I'll, you know, for me, what's, what's, what I often uh, find myself wanting to get distracted when I'm, when I'm doing is writing. Writing is hard work. I've written two bestsellers, thousands of articles. It's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never easy. Yeah. And many times all I want to do is let me just go Google this one thing, or let me just go check email, or let me just do anything but the hard work I know I need to do. So here's what I'll do. I'll say, I'll say, tell my phone, set a timer for 10 minutes. I'll put my phone down. And my job is to just sit with that sensation. What I have to do for 10 minutes is to do what we call surf the urge. Surfing the urge tells us that we have to ride out that sensation like a surfer on a surfboard. Here's the thing about these internal triggers. When you feel them, when you feel bored, lonely, stress, anxiety, it feels like you're always going to feel that sensation. But that's never the case. That these emotions, these feelings, these internal triggers, stress, anxiety, they're fleeting. They're like waves. They crest and then they subside. They don't last forever. So if we can ride out that urge, that sensation, like a surfer on a surfboard, we give it time to crest and then subside. And that's what the 10-minute rule is all about. So what you're going to do is you're going to set a time for 10 minutes and you have two choices. You can either get back to the task at hand, doing what you said you were going to do, or ride out that sensation with curiosity. Explore that sensation. Hmm, okay, I'm really feeling the urge right now to eat that chocolate cake or to go check email. I'm really feeling that urge right now when I know I need to focus on something else more important. Okay, what's going on? Where is that urge coming from? Where is that sensation happening in my body? And by getting curious about it, by understanding what's causing that, that deeper discomfort, this, we can write it out long enough to, to let it subside. And by the time those 10 minutes are up, let me tell you this, 90% of the time when the timer rings and the 10 minutes are up, I'm back at work. I'm doing exactly what it is I said I was going to do. I mean, like, I, I just literally last night, you mentioned that cookie. I was like, I walked over and there was a leftover brownie and I was like, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> like if I sat in my feelings for 10 minutes, I wouldn't have eaten that whole tray of brownies. So <laughs> oh, did yeah. I say whole tray? Talking about it. I get it. Talking about I mean, this, pre- is why, this is okay. why I was obese. You know, yeah. Yeah. I would love to say, oh, I was obese because McDonald's and Coca-Cola made me obese. Mm. Come on. No. Yeah. It's like saying, you know, a social, the Facebook and Twitter are why I keep checking my phone. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was obese because I was eating my feelings. And though, yeah, that's, that's the thing. We never I'm really obese. look at ourselves. Like, I mean, you're forcing, you're actually forcing us to look at ourselves in this situation Sorry. instead of blaming <laughs> the phone Sorry. or social media. And that's the excuse that we've always yeah. had. Oh, social media, they always, they're putting this out there. They're doing it. No, no, it's us. And we just don't know the tool, yeah. tools. And, and the internal triggers, right? It's it's so it's so true. And you talk, you know, in your first book, Hooked, Netflix, right? Netflix is taking advantage of these internal triggers that we have. And I mean, how often is it like, oh, I'm so stressed from today. I just want to escape. I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to watch TV for the next yeah. three hours and I'm going to go to sleep. It's not because yeah. you want to watch TV. It's because you have these internal triggers. You're uncomfortable from the day, from whatever it was, because probably you didn't time block or you didn't, you know, do mm-hmm. do your calendar. Mm-hmm. But and 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 this is these are things that I struggle with so often. It's like, all right, well, I'm just gonna grab a glass of wine and I want to watch Netflix because I just want to check out. Yeah. My mind's yeah. been going yeah. all day. I just want to check yeah. out. So yeah. a question, a question though is is and and 
you're going to maybe laugh at me because you've already answered it, but these, these attention and, and efficiency and right and how much, how much bandwidth we have to focus on a certain task for a certain amount of time. When is it okay to take a, a break, a refresher or whatever within a project? So I'm not grinding for four hours on one and now my eyes are crossed and I can't see the screen anymore. What, when is it okay and how do you manage those so that you can efficiently work through a project if, if it's an extended period of time? So this is where that scientist mentality comes in. Mm-hmm. So if you find, you know what, uh, I don't enjoy working on this project after an hour. Mm-hmm. I, I need a break. Okay, that's you know that that would feel good to me to take a little break and 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 get a refresher. Great, mm-hmm. put it in your calendar. Yeah. Right after an hour, ninety minutes, I, I want to take a little walk around the block. I need mm-hmm. to go get a cup of coffee. I want to go do something else. Uh, that's fine. But you only do that by learning and having that feedback yeah. cycle. What most people do is they use this myth. Uh, of saying, well, I'm spent, right? Mm-hmm. I have no more willpower yeah, left. Yeah. And then let's get back to- Yeah, I want to go to willpower early yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so this is this is a part I talk about in the book around this myth that we call ego depletion. Now, ego depletion was this concept that was popularized that said, uh, and there were several studies that, that found this, that willpower is a depletable resource. You've probably heard this in some extent, right? That, that you mm-hmm. exhaust willpower. And this was, by the way, my daily routine. You mentioned Netflix. This is what I used to do every day. I would come home from work and I would say, oh, it's such a busy day at work today. I was so stressed out. Uh, I have no willpower left. Let me, I'm gonna, just going to relax on the couch. Give me my pint of Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to sit here and do nothing because I am spent, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? I've used up all my willpower. I know I should be doing other stuff. I should be playing with my kids. I should be you know, fixing something around the house. No, I'm spent. I've got no willpower left, right? Mm-hmm. And I justified that to myself because I thought, well, I, I've, I've exhausted all my willpower. Mm-hmm. And this idea actually did gain some scientific credibility when this, this one particular researcher published this, these studies around ego depletion, this, this idea that we run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank. The thing is, in the social sciences, when a study sounds too good to be true, what do we do? We run it again. We replicate the study. And it turns out that when other researchers tried to replicate this study, they found that ego depletion didn't exist. That there is no such thing, in fact, as running out of willpower like gas in a gas tank, except, except in one group of people. That there is one group of people, and this research came from Carol Dweck at Stanford, who's fantastic. She wrote that book, Mindset. If you haven't read it, it's, it's wonderful. She did this study, and she found that some people really do run out of willpower like someone would run out of gas in a gas tank. And those people, and only those people, were people who believed that they had run out of willpower. <laughs> That's it. That's the only people who actually demonstrated this effect. Mm-hmm. And what this tells us is how important our, our, our self-image, our perception is. So when I hear people tell me stuff like, oh, I have an addictive personality, I have a short attention span, I'm not good with time management – what they're doing is they're telling me that they have already decided mm. who they are yeah. and what their co- capabilities are. It's like that Henry Ford quote, uh, uh, whether you think you can or you can't, you're, you're right. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And, and that's why this mentality of technology is addicting us, that it's hijacking our brains is so dangerous right. because it's exactly what the social media companies want. Mm. They want you to believe you can't stop. 
They want you to believe you're powerless. They want you to believe there's nothing you can do because why? Then they know you won't try and do anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you right? said something. Yeah. Helplessness. <laughs> you said something and I read it. You said something about how to, how do you outsmart your brain? Mm. Talk about that. I mean, that's because the brain is so powerful. What, what we've all, and we've all been athletes, so we've always had this training of our, in our mind of training ourselves to be confident. Uh, repetition, mm. repetition, and you go into a game or whatnot, and the brain is so powerful because you convince yourself. Tell me how you, you made mention of how do you outsmart your brain? Yes, yeah, so so I think one of the big ways is through self image. Right. That that, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm sure you've seen is, uh, you know, when you think of yourself as an athlete, that identity helps you perform. Mm. Right. As opposed to when I saw myself as obese, that limited what I could do. Right. Mm. And the reason I was never into physical activity was because I never saw myself as an athlete. I saw myself as the fat kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's only now that I see myself at 43 years old as an athlete. And this is why self image is so important that if we think of ourselves as being addicted to technology, or if we think ourselves of having a short attention span, we act accordingly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important. That's, this is why now we get to the heart of it. This is why the book is called indistractable. Because indistractable sounds like indestructible. Right. It's a moniker. It's a superpower. Yeah. It's an identity. And we've been here before. We've been here before with something that was much more distractive and much more dangerous. Uh, I'm talking about cigarettes. So I remember, I'm not sure how old you guys are, but I remember when I grew up in the 1980s, in my household, we had ashtrays all around our house. Mm -hmm. Now, my parents didn't smoke, but back in the 1980s, that's what people did. Everybody yeah. had ashtrays in their living room. Do you guys remember this? Oh, like, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Yes. I grew up in right. the 80s, so yeah, I remember. There you go. Like anybody born after 1985 is going to think this is crazy. That this Sorry. is the way the yeah, world works. I'm, I'm lost right now. I, I don't recognize <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, it was my aunt and uncles. It was, it was my aunt and uncles or grandparents' house. Ashtrays yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine if someone walked into your house and just lit up a cigarette? That'd be crazy. Oh, yeah. right? You would never do that today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what people did back then. Mm-hmm. Well, what changed? What changed? Was was there a law that said, oh, you can't smoke in someone's private residence? No, there's never been any kind of law that, that said that. What changed was is that people started to spread what we call social antibodies. They started spreading these new norms. So here's what happened. In my household, one day my mom got sick of people smoking in her living room, and she said she took away the ashtray. She threw them away. And when one of her friends came over and lit up a cigarette, she said, oh, oh, oh I'm sorry, we are non-smokers, mm. okay? An identity. We are non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, if you'd kindly go outside. Oh, that was such a big deal, right? How rude, <laughs> how offensive that she should do that, right? But of course, now that's commonplace. No mm. one would dream of smoking in someone's home without at least asking, right? And most yeah. of us know you, if you want to smoke, you got to smoke outside. That's just the new norm. This is what we have to do with our technology. Mm. This is what we have to do with distraction. We have to adopt this moniker of saying, I am indistractable right? That's Mm -hmm. who I am. I'm not going to respond to every text message and voicemail or whatever within 30 seconds when I'm with my kids. I am indistractable. If you're going to have a meal with me, if we're going to sit down together and have lunch, you know what? We're going to be fully present with each other. I'm not going to use my phone and I'm not going to tolerate you using it either because we are indistractable. That is Mm -hmm. our identity. And you think, oh, isn't that weird? Isn't that rude? Well, you know, all kinds of people have restrictions on their behaviors based on their identity. 
a, a devout Muslim doesn't say, oh, should I have a beer today? No, they are Muslim. Muslims don't drink alcohol. That is who they are. Mm-hmm. A vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have a bacon sandwich for breakfast? No, they're vegetarian. It is who they are. It is part of their identity. Mm-hmm. So a devout Christian, uh, a, a, you know, anybody who has an identity by having that moniker, you are making it easier for, your, for you to live up to your values. Mm. See, I love that. And that's, you know, like Chip and Joanna Gaines, they have a restaurant just south of us down in Waco. And every single, every single booth, every single table has a pouch that you have to drop your phones into. Every, nice. and, and, they, and it's a restaurant mandate that you cannot have your phones on the table, which I think is cool. And my wife does something similar. We have a little box that says, you know, social networking is the, is the new or whatever. Some about ta- oh, talking is the new social networking or something like that. But it's a box that nice. when people come in, they drop it, they drop it in. And my wife's really good about it, but I still struggle because I get defensive, right? I get defensive when like she calls me out. Like if we're sitting as a family and I'm responding to an email or I'm doing something like that, like she'll like just very quietly just tap me and be like, hey, put it away. It's like, well, no, I have to. I mean, and then I justify it. It's because I have those triggers and I don't want to let someone down and I don't want to feel, you know, uh, not needed. You know, we talk about it all a lot. We want to prove our importance. But I think I love the I love the 10 minute rule. Because that yeah. just mellows yes. you out, mm-hmm. and it's Absolutely. like, okay, listen, it's eight o'clock at night. I'm not going to respond to that email. You know, I don't that is so need true. To. But even when we're at work, like yeah. just the break, like you know, work can be so stressful at times, and you're trying to answer so many calls and things are happening. Just to sit back for, you know, give yourself, set your alarm, mm. and give yourself ten minutes mm. to think. Yeah. Just yeah. to think, and that's—I think that's for, for me. That's one of the things that I'm definitely going to move forward with is just set my own time and have some alone time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and look, the rest of your day can be spent doing reactive that's work. Right. That's fine. You know, exactly. I understand every business. You need time to be responsive. You need time to, yeah. you know, talk to employees, to go to meetings, to check emails. I, I get that. I don't want it to be your entire day. That's right. Yeah. That's the thing. Most yeah. people, it's easier right? I don't want to have to think about what's mm. important. I'll just respond to what other people think is important. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're, you're doing that, you're living your life according to someone else's values. Absolutely. Why you have to plan the right. time for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you're sitting here and what keeps going through my mind is, and we talked about football earlier, football, it's, you know, you want to get better at football. You do the thing, you do the little things, you watch film, you work on your steps, you, you work on catching the ball. Like there's, there's these techniques to better yourself. But for whatever reason, when it comes to time yes. management, we mm-hmm. don't apply the same principles. We don't think about that there's practice involved. There's things, there's steps that you can do to get better at it. We, I guess we just, or I just take it for granted and just think I, I, it's just something I should be good at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of metaphors here that I think do apply with getting good uh, at, at a particular sport. You know, the, how important the mental game is, mm-hmm. right? How important it is to to be able to control your emotions uh, during a game? Very, mm-hmm. very important. You're not going to be your best. Uh, you know the, the importance of you know wh- why why do people find it easy uh, to exercise when they were in high school or college? Uh, you know, but then when later in life they don't continue to exercise because it was on their schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Practice was there, mm-hmm. and people expected you to show up. Many of these principles actually do apply in 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 both these environments. One hundred percent. That's what we talk 
to, to younger players. And we struggle with it, so mm-hmm. we're not saying we're the experts. Right. But guys struggle coming out because that's exactly right. You have a schedule. Hey, you got to be at the facility at 6 a.m. You've got to work out from 6.15 yeah. to 7 o'clock. You've got breakfast at 7. You've got your special teams meeting at 7.30. I mean, you have everything laid out for you. I mean, even down to the detail of this six-inch step, as soon as a quarterback goes on the cadence you have to take this step in that direction in that way and then you get out and now you just have this blank and that's the schedule this blank calendar and i don't know where i'm going and and we don't don't know how to manage we no longer have the tools yeah the tools aren't there anymore well you have the tools you don't know how to use Use the tools exactly near is the tool yeah near is (laughs) call it near what'd you call him (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about that as we wrap up near and i'm telling you Time block two hours because nearandfar.com, you'll go down some rabbit holes for sure. <laughs> this is time blocking, so it's not considered so, a distraction. So time block because, yeah, so so talk to us about where we can find you, nearandfar.com. Where else can we find you? Absolutely, yeah. So my blog is nearandfar.com, but near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com. And uh, that, that's the best place to, uh, to check out my work. Actually, there's a, a free uh, workbook there, uh, an 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit into the final edition of the book. It's, it was too big. So I'm, I'm giving that away. It's complimentary. Anybody can get that at nearandfar.com. Whether you buy the book or not, it, it will start you on this path to becoming indistractable. And the name of the book, again, is Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention yes. and Choose Your Life. So I have this problem near um, that I order books all the time. And my wife's like, I <laughs> never swear. read them. <laughs> Tyler, if you order another book, but here's, here's, here's going to be the difference is, is I have not read it yet. And I am absolutely going to, because this is something for me. This is a skill that I need to pick up and not only for myself and number one, right? The center is you, but for my relationships and for my work, mm-hmm. because this, it is, it is, but here's, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to time block it. And so I have to live by it. So I, I'm going to check back in with you. Give me 30 days and I'm going to get we through this do book. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. And, and, we that. Yeah. and there's, by the way, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get to, to a chance to talk about in terms of how to raise indistractable kids. You know, <sighs> I, I, if you think the world is distracting now, pff, just wait a few years and it's oh going to become even more distracting for our gosh. kids. It's an essential skill that they learn how to be indistractable, how to have indistractable relationships, how to have, a, have an indistractable workplace. And I'll give you, by the way, one, one technique, if you struggle with reading uh, enough books, uh, do any of you guys struggle with, with insomnia or sleepless nights from time to time? All never, day, every right. day. Yeah. I haven't had a Thankfully, good night in years. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. So, so we know sleeping next to your cell phone, bad idea. Do, yes. don't, don't keep cell phones in your bedroom. Charge them somewhere outside. Mm. The, only, the only electronic device I allow near my bed is my Kindle. Mm. And this is the best sleeping pill <laughs> ever invented. That is the wow. truth. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're having trouble sleeping, do not pick up your phone. Do not pick up your iPad because the internet is endless. You can yeah. scroll and scroll and yeah. scroll and scroll. Pick up your Kindle and start reading mm-hmm. because two things. Number one, it's a good use of time. Yeah. If you wake up at 3 a.m. and you, you can't fall back asleep, well, hey, at least you got some reading done. That's yeah, great. Right. Okay, it could be your, your body just doesn't need more sleep and you need some time to, to, to just relax and read a book. Great. You'll get some reading done. Okay. The, the second thing is that nine times out of 10, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you start reading a book, you'll fall back asleep. Mm, yeah. Mm, right. Mm. Because you'll stop ruminating. The number one cause of anxiety is rumination about not being able to sleep. Yeah. 
That's why people can't fall back asleep is because they're thinking, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. So by reading a book, you're scrambling that, that rumination cycle. You're stopping that rumination loop. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, you'll fall back asleep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay, Kindle. Yeah, you Kindle, Kindle hey, it order is. that, man. Where's Wit? Yeah. All right, Nair, <laughs> thank you again. And and for those, I don't know, if, I don't think we actually brought it up, but you're you're calling in from Singapore, and and we're just so thankful for yes. for the time block that you yeah. allowed us to, to join you in, uh, because uh, honestly, our listeners, this is going to benefit them, and and we would love to stay in touch. Um, so I'm going to get your contact from Ben. Ben kind of hoards our guest contacts, yeah. so he kind of yeah. keeps them to himself. But uh, but I want to I want to just check back in. You don't even have to respond, but I want to I want to touch back in, in in 30 days after I read the book. Yeah. But thank you I so much for yeah. your time. And Ben is gonna gonna wrap us up with one final question for well, you. Well, no, no, no okay. final question. Just I mean, I'm I'm literally going to Amazon when we're done with this. <laughs> yeah, and, and distractible. Well, unless there's a better place to buy it that, that benefits. Yeah, you yeah. More. Can you? Yeah, do you make better profits if it's right from your website? Oh, that's sweet of you to say. I appreciate it. No, Amazon is great. Okay. Uh, it's available on Audible, uh, Kindle, or, on Audible. or hardback. Okay. Whatever, whatever okay. suits your fancy. All right. All right. Well, we're having you back on. So time block that six months from now. Yes. We're yeah. going to put you Let's back on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so well, much, man. No 30 days. I want to see how you put this into practice. Yes. All right. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome, we appreciate man. you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Yes, Have a good right. day.